the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days, or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Good evening, Ron Geyer, back with more End Time Insights, the first one of the year, I think. What is today? Yes, I think it would be. Well, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, and thank you for listening and tuning in. We're talking about the book of Matthew. I know a lot of people struggle with the book of Matthew, and so we're taking our time. I was going to jump into the uh, Christian's role in the millennial reign of Christ, and I think when we finish Matthew, we'll get there, but the Lord backed me up said, don't go so fast. Let's go ahead and let's learn about the book of Matthew. Great chapter, somewhere 45, 50 verses. And basically, it's Jesus asking questions of who? Of the disciples. The disciples are who? They are Jewish disciples. Disciples meaning that they will very shortly become the foundation for the church. So even though this is Jesus talking to Jews, about a Jewish problem, Jesus, a Jewish Jesus, it does have stuff in here for the church if we'll pay attention because a lot of this transitions into the tribulation. Of course, the church will be gone for the tribulation, but a lot of the things that are happening are already happening now, even though they will be earmarks of the tribulation. For instance, you know, the wars and the rumors of war that we talked about in verse 7, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom shall rise against kingdom, and there shall be famines, there shall be pestilences, there shall be earthquakes in many places. All of that is happening now. And yet it is a sign of the tribulation that Israel is being judged. The Gentile nations which have rejected Christ, which have persecuted Israel, they are being judged. But all of this stuff, it happens already, but it intensifies during the time. Not too much new is going to happen until we get into where mountains are moving, uh, stars are falling, uh, hell's being emptied out. I don't think we've had any of that stuff before, (laughs) but that's a bit of ways yet. So hallelujah. So Jesus is answering their questions. Okay, what is the sign of your coming? When are you coming? And when will the temple be destroyed? And so he ignores the temple being destroyed question because he wants them to know What's going on? And don't forget the Jews, they expected the Messiah to come and they expected him not only to be a spiritual Messiah. I'm not even sure if they had that expectancy, but they did expect a political Messiah. And like the church did with Trump, (laughs) they did expect a material, physical, political deliverer for them. And so when Jesus tells them and he showed up and he wasn't that guy, remember they were looking for a lion and God sent the lamb first. 
But now they're still looking for the lion, even though these Jews have acknowledged Jesus as the lamb. He came to deliver them from their sin. Well, they're looking for a more five-cent realm type of deliverance, one from the oppressive rule of the Romans. And they don't understand that when Jesus says, well, the end isn't near, and they go, when, when, what's going to be the sign? They're expecting him in their lifetime to come back. He hasn't even left yet. (laughs) Okay, I'm not even sure if they understand what the resurrection is. They're about to. But they're expecting someone to deliver them from the oppressive rule of the Romans, and Jesus has to get through to them. Well, I am that guy, but I am not that guy this go-round. And so he's picking up on where he was in verse 6. He's talking about the fact that there's going to be all sorts of strange stuff going on, that there's going to be false teachers, false messiahs, false prophets. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of war in verse 6. See that you be not troubled. He goes, don't worry about it. He goes, for all these things have got to come to pass, but the end is not yet near. And what things have got to come to pass? The wars and the rumors of wars. He says, that's got to come to pass, but the end is not here yet. And then in verse 7, he says, for nation shall rise. He clarifies verse 6. For nation shall rise against nation. Those are world wars. He says, and kingdom shall rise against kingdom. Those are regional conflicts. And there shall also be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in many places. So he reiterates verse 6. He fleshes it out somewhat. He confirms it and identifies what kind of wars and the rumors of wars that will take place. And Arnold Fuchtenbaum, I think I used that name last time. I touched on it. He comments on verse 7. To understand what the idiom nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom means, it is necessary to return to the Jewish origin of these statements. These expressions are Hebrew idioms for a world war. Jesus' statement here is that when a world war occurs, rather than merely a local war, that world war would signify the end of the age had begun. The end of the age. It's not like Today is Sunday and tomorrow is Monday and it's the end of the age. It's a process. I think it's a seven-year, eight-year process. And the day of the Lord, it's a process. Yes, there is a specific day on which Jesus will come back. But the day of the Lord includes, in my view, uh, from the end of the rapture of the church to his return, the great and terrible day of the Lord. And then Fruchtenbaum continues that the sign that the end of the age has begun is the worldwide conflict fulfilled by both World War I and World War II. Now, there are divergent points of view on this. Some hold that this could also be translated as regional conflicts rather than world wars. For me, I think it's both. I can accept both as being right. Jesus is saying the earth will be inundated by men warring with one another. They will be warring in smaller local regional conflicts within nations where people of similar origin fight against one another. And they'll also be saying that this warring will extend across national boundaries, and it includes continents. The point is taken. Man will be unruly. He will be self-absorbed. He will be without restraint as the end nears. Don't forget, Jesus is telling them the end isn't here, but the end is near. There are three more telling occurrences that the end is near. Jesus adds them in verse 7. There'll also be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes. Let's go to Revelation chapter 6 to see if we can learn anything about these three occurrences. I think this is where I left off last week. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, Jesus is about to open the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four be saying, Come and see. 
And I saw, and behold, a white horse. This is the appearance of the Antichrist, guys. He sat on him, and he had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Wars. Jesus is saying, when you see these wars, the end is near. At the opening of the seal and the revelation of the Antichrist, that tells us something. That tells us now that Jesus has taken the disciples in his narrative into the tribulation. Notice, he skipped right into from talking about them that don't be worried, don't be troubled, don't let anyone deceive you. They'll be false everywhere. And now he's in the tribulation. He does not stop to explain to them about the rapture of the church. Don't forget, these are Jews. They don't know anything about the rapture. They have no idea what the church is, even though they will become the foundation of that church. So Jesus doesn't waste any time there. He just goes straight into the tribulation from verse 5 through 7. He takes us right in there. And so we see the opening of the uh, seal is the manifestation of the Antichrist. Thessalonians tells us that the Antichrist cannot show up until two things happen. One, the withholding power, the restraining power is removed. That restraining power, in my view, it's not just the Holy Spirit and it's not just the church. It is the Holy Spirit in the church. That is the restraining power right now that prevents B, the second thing from happening, the manifestation of the Antichrist, which is associated also with the apostasy. So all these things are going on now, and Jesus does not break them down. He just skips right into the part of future history, prophecy, whereby now the Jews are left in the tribulation. So we see in verse 4 in Revelation 19 also that the famines, we see the beasts, the pestilences, we see all these things taking place as a manifestation and a fulfillment of what Jesus is telling them in Matthew 24. Verse 4, and there went out another horse, this is Revelation 6, and there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him, the rider of that horse, that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, that's more wars, and they that should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. And verse 6, and I heard a voice in the midst of the four be say, a measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil or the wine. We're talking about some type of financial calamity in the seventh verse. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with a sword, with hunger, famine, and with death, and with the beast of the earth. So we see the Revelation chapter 6 and Jesus opening the five seals, the first five seals. That confirms what Jesus is talking about to the Jewish disciples in Matthew 24. The earth averages about 16 major earthquakes a year. It also averages about 100 strong earthquakes a year. So the manifestation, this is already now. So the manifestation of earthquakes, which Jesus talks about, is not limited to the tribulation period, but we're already here. The only difference is those earthquakes will increase in intensity. They will increase in strength as we get closer and closer to the return of Christ. So if I read everything correctly, it seems that the time Jesus is referencing is the first half of the seven-year tribulation period. The Antichrist is on the scene. Massive deaths are occurring. Worldwide famine and pestilence is occurring as never before. And large, strong seismic activity is prevalent. And this is neat, because what does the Lord say about all this? Well, he addresses what's going on in verse 8, and this is important. All of these are the beginning of sorrows. Another uh, rendering of that would be all of these are the beginning of birth pangs. And all of these things, 
what is all of these things? We just read it. All of these things refers to many coming in the name of Jesus and misleading many, many wars, many rumors of wars, nations and kingdoms rising against one another, famines, earthquakes, pestilences, all of these things. Now, that's all pretty general. Let's look at the wide array of how different translations read for the word sorrow. Number one, the beginning of travail, the beginning of birth pangs, intolerable anguish, the time of unprecedented trouble, beginning of labor pain, sufferings associated with the end, beginning of troubles. These are all different renderings of that verse, sorrows, and it's important that we recognize that because Jesus is using the reference of a woman in travail, a woman having birth pangs. Now, understand, you're pregnant for nine months. No, not you, whomever, but the earth has been pregnant, waiting for a new heaven and a new earth. All creation groans in anticipation, awaiting the manifestation of the children of God. So we see here that Jesus has changed his description of these events. He has gone from the end is not yet to the beginning of sorrows. And understand something. I've got it here. Oh, here, MacArthur. The New American Standard uh, Translation talks about the fact that all of these are merely the beginning of birth pains and understand the birth process. MacArthur explains the actual process of birth pangs shows why Jesus chose this term. Birth pangs have always been associated with the coming of the Messiah in Jewish end-time writings, and hopefully my prayer is that this will enlighten the church here also. The figure of birth pangs was commonly used by ancient Jewish writers, especially in the regard to the end times. The great modern Jewish scholar, Alfred Edersheim, he wrote, Jewish writings speak very frequently of the labor pains of the Messiah. Labor pains do not catch it. Labor pains do not occur at conception or throughout pregnancy, but they only occur just before birth. Remember, I am trying to show you how Jesus is telling us how close the end is when you see this stuff going on. The figure of birth pains, therefore, would not have been appropriate to represent either the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, which occurred very near the beginning of the church age, or the church age as a whole. Labor pains do not begin until shortly before delivery time, and they occur with increasing frequency until the baby is born. In the same way, the events connected with the Lord's return will not begin until just before his return. What are you saying? I am saying that the earthquakes, I'm telling you that the the wars, the rumors of wars, the famines, these earthquakes, these things are associated with the nearness of Christ's return. He is coming very, very soon. And, you know, you put all that in this one prophetic backdrop of what? The rebirth of the nation Israel, and you have got to be blind, deaf, and dumb in total to reject the notion that the return of the Messiah is imminent. There's too many signs out there. And when you add the setting of the backdrop of the rebirth of the nation of Israel, it just seals the deal, folks. The Lord is coming back. If you don't think he's coming back, well, that's great because that's when he's coming back. Hallelujah. So where am I? In the same way, the events connected with the Lord's return will not begin until just before his return. And they will occur with increasing rapidity. In the book of Revelation, as the seal judgments unfold over a period of perhaps years, the trumpet judgments over a much shorter period of time, perhaps weeks, and then finally the bowl judgments over the period of perhaps only a few days. All of this, the increase in time, the days are being shortened, the the rapidity of how fast time is going. It's all about the return of Christ. The earth is getting ready to receive her king. Hallelujah. 
Right before that, though, the counterfeit enemy makes one last chance, and he sends his Antichrist. And you can see this also. You can see it in America day by day. America, the false church, the heathen, the pagan, the uh, culturally, spiritually ignorant, blind people uh, who are telling us lies about what's going on in our political system in the church, all of them are preparing to receive their king, the Antichrist. So there's a race going on, as it were. Who gets here first? Well, the Bible tells us. The Bible says the false comes before the real. And that's not a problem because the false is destroyed when the real comes. It's an amazing time right now. So verses 9 through 14 in Matthew 24, they speak to those Christians who will be alive during the time right before the end. That is not us. Okay, we get taken out right before that last seven-year period. He speaks of the behavior of both the church and the Jew and what lies ahead for them in relation to the world's hatred for Christ. Verse 9, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. They shall deliver who up? Well, who is they? They is the Antichrist crowd. They are the apostate crowd. That means people who have left the church. They are believers who did not endure until the end. They shall deliver you. He's talking to the Jews. He's talking to the Jewish Christians, he's talking to the church, who's ever here. This is already happening. Hundreds of thousands of people are killed because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, because the world hates Jesus. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. They shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Now, I believe the intensity of that is language that is referring to the Jews during the tribulation period, but it also includes the Christians. Don't forget, you're not going to get to heaven after the rapture of the church unless pretty much you've been martyred. You will lose your life. Your testimony will cause you to be killed by those that oppose Christ. Verse 9, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all my name's sake, for my name's sake. Then shall they. Then what? Then means something comes after. Then in a chronological sense means after. Following the things that were described in verses 4 through 7, then after that the great tribulation will come. Very important. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. They are Jewish disciples to be exact. He is also speaking to the future church. We, you and me, we are disciples and we are also the church. Yes, guys, this applies to us as well. They shall deliver you That's me, and that's you. This applies to us. They shall deliver you, and they shall kill you. You will be afflicted. We will be hated by all nations because of our association with the name of Jesus. And if one needs the proof of what he was saying, 11 of the 12 Jewish disciples, they were were martyred, right? John was the only one. They tried boiling him in oil. That didn't stick, right? They banished him to the Isle of Patmos, and God had him write the book of Revelation there. (laughs) God, you cannot shut up the word of God. When God's got a plan, he's going to get it done. So basically, the truth of this happening then was fulfilled in the death of the disciples. Then you had others like Antipas and other, what was his name? Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Anyway, others who lost their lives standing during the time of uh, Domitian, the emperor, uh, and history of mankind who loved Jesus Christ being martyred for their faith. Well, this is going on right up until the rapture of the church, and then it intensifies with the death of whoever chooses to serve Christ during the tribulation. Don't forget, during the tribulation, you're going to have the greatest 
revival. You're going to have the greatest infilling in the church that's ever taken place. All those people that got left behind because they had they got involved with religion instead of with Jesus. All those people that followed false teaching that were removed from their place of safety because they gave into the lies of the enemy, the apostate church. Those people will have an option again of receiving Christ, repenting of their sin, and they will get saved, and they will, in addition, be preaching the gospel. It's going to be a, you know, it's going to be a great time, and it's going to be a terrible time. You know, if you place value on your life, it's going to be a terrible time. But if you decide to lose your life for Christ's sake, then you will find your life. Hallelujah. And you'll join us in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. So you will be afflicted. You will be killed. And if one needs proof, 11 of the 12 disciples were also killed at that time. And yes, it's even continuing to happen today. We already are at this point in Matthew 24, depending on which source you follow. Christians murdered for their faith each year is between 10 and 100,000. Since Christ, that number, get ready for this. Since Christ, get ready, the number of people that have been crucified, martyred, killed, tortured, torn, ripped apart, 70 million people. 70 million people have already lost their lives for the testimony of Jesus Christ. The church, we're adding around 15 million people a year are joining the church. Well, at the same time, we're losing around 11.5 million a year. So we're not growing as much as we could, and I believe we're in the final gleaning of the church, especially in America. America has had its day of visitation. We've had grace up to our ears, and we've rejected that. And so now we're just having a final gleaning, the people you've been praying for, your families, the people that you've been ministering to, the people that you love, and you've loved them enough to tell them the truth. Those people are going to come in, but it's not a whole lot of people. So just stand in the gap for them. You know, believe on the Lord, your whole house shall be saved. And he that endures to the end shall be saved. I believe, though, that Jesus is generally speaking about the persecutions that will be evident during the tribulation. Don't forget about the similarities that we found out between the wars and the death and the famine and the pestilence when Jesus was opening the first four seals. So we see that Jesus puts all these events and conditions into the category of what? Birth pangs. In life, when the mother begins to experience the pangs of birth, that is time to go to the hospital. Hallelujah. The earth is getting ready. We are going to the hospital. The baby's about to be born. Thank you, Jesus. In biblical context, the rapture of the church has already taken place. We are in the early stages of the tribulation. And yes, most definitely mankind needs to rush headlong first to the hospital. Matthew 24, verse 9 in the New American Standard. Tell us plainly what's going on. Then they will hand you over to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. So far, Jesus has led us to understand the chronological nature of what's happening. Let's look at they and who. Remember, the church is not here, so someone is delivering someone up for tribulation. And I told you, who's ever here is being delivered up for tribulation and has any faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Part of that control with the Antichrist will be silencing people of our beliefs through any means possible. That means imprisonment as well as death. And who are they silencing? Well, Jesus said he is talking to the Jewish disciple. He is talking to the Jewish believers who will soon become the church. We can eliminate the church. We're gone. But there still will be Jews here and there still will be new disciples and believers. This persecution will generally be singling them out. Believers and Jews will be hated everywhere by all people, and they will be killed. Association with Jesus and bearing his name will get you killed. It's quite simple. You cannot remain here during this time and expect to live. Verse 10, and then they shall, men shall be offended, and they shall betray one another and shall hate one another. 
the New American Standard. And at that time, many will fall away and they will betray one another and they will hate one another. That's what these Bible scriptures are talking about. We're not going to stand up to the tribulation. We're going to lose many. People that you thought were your brothers are going to turn you in. I was talking to somebody the other day. I was referencing, it's called Kristallnacht. It was the night in Germany when Hitler went after the people who were hiding the Jews in their homes. What they did was they would, the Germans, they would go ahead and they would check the grocery bills. And they would search houses. They couldn't find anybody. But then they started coming up with a plan. We'll search the grocery bills of the people that were hiding them. And if they noticed an increase in the grocery bills, they started ripping out the walls. They started ripping out the cellars. They started ripping out the roofs. And they would discover that Jews were being hid by people that were not willing to go along with Hitler's plan. And they were finding them in the walls and in the attics of the houses. And get ready. That's coming to a, to a theater near you soon. It's about to happen to America as they seek out the Christians, those that are willingly putting their faith in the Lord Jesus and loving their lives unto death. Jesus first. Remember that. I'm Ron Gaia. We'll pick up next week. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.